Howdy do. Ricky, I just want to say in starting here that uh, Friday, well, it was yesterday morning. It seems like a long time ago coming here and they gave me a key. Actually, we tried a couple keys until we got into this building and it was, you know, it just seems so kind of empty and cavernous and, and sort of big and I don't know, you know, it's kind of a, it used to be a department store. It's kind of a funny room, but it's amazing how when you bring certain artists into a place like this, it suddenly becomes very cozy and intimate feeling, isn't it? That must be a very cool feeling to have that happen to you a bunch. I miss the mannequins where they are. <laughs> you miss... <laughs> and, uh, and it's a testament, of course, to this gentleman, is his career and his music and how much they appreciate your music, but also, I think, to how much uh, joy you brought all these people out here. So let's make oh, him yeah. feel welcome. This is Ricky Skaggs. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I always, I always a, I always, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit. I always think a fun way to start with one of these is just to let them hear you play one, and then we'll have a little conversation. How does that sound to you? Okay. Ricky, I was hoping we could go back to the very beginning here. What, what got you first as a, as a real young person interested in music? Oh, uh, wow. I'm my dad, actually. Um, I was singing around the house when I was about three years old, according to my, my mama. And uh, better get that. Might be work. <laughs> Someone didn't follow directions. Somebody didn't get the memo. Did and they? it's backstage, which is even worse, which means <laughs> it's us, not you. <laughs> oh, that lasagna. Sorry about that. Um, no, uh, my mom used to hold me up in her arms and, uh, or set me on a pulpit at church, and I would sing with, <clears throat> with her and dad at, in church when I was three years old, three and four. And um, so I was beginning to show some interest in music. And um, my dad was a welder and traveled a lot, you know, wherever the good jobs were, he would drive and, and you know, and, and go. And he happened to be up in, um, in Ohio uh, working uh, a job in Lima, Ohio, and um, two people from Lima, praise the Lord. And uh, <laughs> this is the summer home here in Bristol. So <laughs> anyway, um, I woke up one morning early 
and there was a little mandolin about this long in my bed. And uh, didn't have a case or anything. And, uh, and I just remembered putting my hands around wood and steel and how that felt in my hands. And it still feels good 50 years, 50 years, 51 years later. You know. And, um, but dad, uh, dad had a brother and uh, he and he and my dad used to sing together as a duet. You know, the brothers duets were always popular in bluegrass and still is. But um, he, uh, he had a brother and uh, he got killed in World War II, my, my uncle did. And my dad was just devastated because not only was it his brother, but his singing partner. And, he, and my uncle played mandolin and sung tenor. And so my dad uh, kind of made one of those inner vows that if he ever had a, a son that showed any kind of musical interest, he would uh, get him a mandolin and hopefully would sing tenor. Here I is. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Let's give it up for the dads, man. So yeah, dad. You know, we had a, a kids showcase here earlier in the day that was amazing. A uh, what now? A, a, a kids, kind oh. of a, a youth oh. showcase. We uh -huh. had uh, Adam Larkey, terrific fiddler from uh, Irwin, Tennessee. And, uh, you know, yeah, we had little Carson Peters, all of six years old. And wow. it's amazing. You know, I want to ask you about this. I mean, you hear, I know for a while they were kind of concerned about, like, traditional music and that, oh, this is going to, this is sort of what older people are doing and, and it's, and it's, it's kind of dying out. Now, my experience as folklorist here in Virginia is that nothing could be almost further from the truth That's with true. these young people. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel? And so many of them are also very inspired by you and, and the folks of, of your generation. How does that, what's, your, what's your take on kind of where the music is now? Well, the music's everywhere. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, uh, it's everywhere. I mean, you hear groups like, you know, um, uh, Old Crow, and they're taking... Gid Tanner and Riley Puckett, you know, and the Fruit Jar Drinkers and, you know, uh, Humphrey Bates and all those old Tennessee string bands. <clears throat> They're taking that kind of in warp drive, you know, taking it to the Internet uh, generation and um, really able to get it all over the world. And so, you know, Uncle Dave's music is still alive, which is wonderful, you know. Uh, then you got groups uh, like me and Kentucky Thunder that really have a heart to bring Mr. Monroe, Stanley Brothers, Flat and Scruggs, try to bring their music to this generation and to younger. And so that's our heart there. And uh, so, and then you know, then you have groups uh, you know like Cadillac Sky, and you have you know groups like uh, Crooked Steel. Um, that I love. I just I love their experimentation with with music and with different instruments. You know, uh, Crooked still has a cello in the band, and he eats it up. I mean, he plays fiddle tunes on a cello. You know, and so you know, and they don't really even have a guitar player in the band. It's bass, banjo, fiddle, yeah. and cello. Yeah, yeah. Go figure. Yeah. You know, and it's it's awesome, and I, I love. And we played with them out in. Uh, Colorado here a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's great. So then, and then you have uh, you know John Jorgensen, you know, is oh, keeping man. keeping Django Reinhardt's music alive, uh, that Gypsy Swing music that really preceded bluegrass, 
in the you know in the 30s, you know um, late 30s, mid 30s, late 30s, uh, Parisian gypsy swing, and uh, just doing a fantastic job. So you know, acoustic music I think is probably enjoying the greatest success it's ever known. I know bluegrass probably is being played more. Um, you know, it's not. I mean, main. What do you even call mainstream anymore? Yeah. What can you call mainstream anymore? Because country music, mainstream country music, has merged so much with pop and rock and roll that it really is not the country that we grew up listening to. I'm only 56, but still, I remember Ray Price and Buck Owens and George Jones and yeah. you know Webb Pierce and you know, yeah. and. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, that was the kind of country music that I grew up really loving. And, uh, but, uh, but I, think, I think for the most part, if you're looking for music, you can find it. Yeah. And yeah. on your way to finding what you're looking for, you're liable to discover something else you didn't know you even liked. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. so much music out there. Yeah. So I think music is so important to culture, to American life, uh, not just Americans, but the whole world, you know, uh, I think it's such an important part of um, communication. Um, I've never been in a country, I've traveled to lots of foreign countries, but I've never been to a country in the world that I didn't meet somebody that had a bluegrass band. Yeah, that's right. I was in India, I was in Pakistan, I've been in Sri Lanka. I've been, you know, in a lot of the Middle Eastern countries, and I have, I have found bluegrass bands or someone that asked me about bluegrass music everywhere I've ever been. So uh, this music has really, well, it went international many years ago, but now with the, you know, with the Internet over the last 10 or 15 years especially, it's, oh, yeah. it's everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. And when you were first starting out, you know, with Ralph and all that, was it, was, was it pretty more, was it a little bit more restrictive of kind of what they wanted to hear on this festival circuit and, and that kind of thing? You mean the fans wanted yeah, to hear just, it kind yeah, of restrictive? Yeah, the fans and music. Uh, you know. They weren't as uh, comfortable with some of the bands you're mentioning now that are really kind of stretching it, or has that been always kind of open? Well, let, let's go back to, to 1946, and let's think about Bill Monroe for a second. And let's, let's think about 1936 through 39, when Bill and Charlie Monroe was together making, making records. Uh, they were one of the most popular bands around, mm -hmm. the Monroe Brothers. They were hugely yeah. successful, Bluebird Records. <clears throat> and um, they were learning songs from, you know, from the Carter family. You know, they were learning songs from all kinds of bands, you know, and uh, then when Mr. Monroe left Charlie in 39, he came to the Grand Ole Opry and got signed, you know, as a band. Was he playing bluegrass then? No. Mm -hmm. right. Not what we know today right, right. is bluegrass. He was playing his mandolin, and uh, he had a fiddle, always had a fiddle in the band. And if you're going to play in Georgia, no. Uh, but, you know... <laughs> Uh, he always had a fiddle and always had a, a, a good guitar man, you know, somebody that could play a good rhythm guitar. And uh, whether he could sing or not, Mr. Monroe, Monroe could sing enough to certainly get through a show. So, you know, but, uh, but they were not playing mm -hmm. 
the music that we know today as bluegrass. Right. Uh, even Bill's first successful records, uh, which was, uh, you know, uh, Kentucky Waltz, you know, mm -hmm. um, was his first hit in 44, I guess, mm -hmm. on uh, Columbia. Lester Flatt was in the band, I think, maybe, maybe not. Uh, actually, he wasn't. I think it was probably Clyde Moody might have played rhythm guitar on that. Um, but Bill had, a, had a, an accordion in the band, the Sally Forrester, Sally Ann Forrester, Howdy Forrester's wife. And uh, so Bill was experimenting, trying to find a sound that he could call his own. So we all experiment. We all try different little things that we like that seems to fit, or after we play it, you know, it may dissipate, and we just say, well, that was not really a... You know, that's yeah. not something I want to do again, you know. Right, right. So he did not really, he was not, he didn't just wake up bluegrass. You know, right, he, right. Uh, he was still trying stuff. And as, as a matter of fact, when String Bean left the band, I mean, he, he, hired, he hired Bill, or he hired, hired Lester Flat, in, uh, I think, in late 44. So 44 through 45, he had, Le he had, uh, had Lester Flat in the band. And they were doing great duets, but they hadn't recorded any yet. And when String Bean left the band, he p turned in his notice and was going to leave, Lester said, let's don't replace a banjo player. <laughs> that was Lester's yeah. words. Let's don't, let's, you know, let's get something else, you know. Oh, yeah. And I don't know what else he was thinking about. So it certainly wasn't a tuba or, you know, or some, you know, instrument like that. But I think, you know, from what he had heard banjo-wise, he, uh, I think Lester was kind of thinking on a younger, uh -huh. more cool, more hip, if you, can get, if you could bend that in 44, right, right. but, you know, uh, for his time and his way of thinking and, and, and the modern music he was listening to right. along with Charlie Monroe and, you know, and, and Bill's music and stuff, he wasn't thinking, you know, he, he was wanting to think something out of the box a little bit. I think he was thinking maybe... If we're really going to move on, we ought to try to get something real progressive, you know, something that'll differentiate us from anybody else. And uh, so Jim Shoemate was playing the fiddle in Mr. Monroe's band, and uh, he had heard of a young banjo player, um, you know, that was playing in a band called Lost John and the Allied Kentuckians. Now, there's a name for you. <laughs> With a name like that, I don't think Lost John had much of a future in music. He probably <laughs> probably ended up real estate owning half of Nashville, but he didn't have much of a future in music, I don't think. And so, uh, but everybody was talking about this young banjo player from Shelby, North Carolina. He was 21 years old. He played banjo like nobody had ever heard. And he played with fire. He played with passion and excitement. He had youth. He had everything. And um, so Bill wanted to do an audition, try him out. So it was that instrument, when they heard that thing, there was a, something in the gear mechanism of the transmission. Mm -hmm. It yeah. locked. Yeah. When, when they hired Earl, that locked. And so that experimentation yeah. Yeah. of that new, uh, old sound done a new way yeah. is what perpetuated yeah. the music and what, you know, so when I did the album Honoring the Fathers of Bluegrass, not just the father of Bluegrass, but Honoring the Fathers of Bluegrass, when I did that album, I really wanted to honor Chubby Wise. Mm -hmm. 
on to honor Howard Watts, the bass player, because he his bass playing was just as important yeah. as Bill's mandolin chop. Yeah. I mean, that bass drove that band. It would yeah. drive him off a cliff. I mean, yeah. he just was so powerful in his playing, and so was you know Earl's banjo playing, and so was Chubby's fiddle playing, and then Lester's guitar playing and lead singing, and with with Bill. So it was the combination of the fathers. It was the combination of all the men. Now, obviously, Bill had the band, and he had the name. He had the, the membership at the Grand Ole Opry. He had all of that. He had the vehicle to head down the highway to take this music in. But, and it needed a star, mm -hmm. but every one of those guys participated and yeah. was really an integral part yeah. of the sound. Yeah. So, so experimentation sometimes is a good thing. And yeah, and uh, I think that it's, it's so many folks now, they think of that as being, that's fixed, you know, that's traditional, and the, but, but that's what we find. This is always evolving and, and engaging new creative right. people. And, yeah. Um, and I was wondering, maybe you could play for us, maybe one of those tunes that when you first locked in on that, you know, you said, I want to do this. This is a song I love to yeah. do. Yeah. Um. Well... There's a lot of instrumentals out there, but but uh, when I when I heard Mr. Monroe play uh, uh, this tune, I bluegrass stomp, I just uh, I said that is just that's stupid good, <laughs> you know that's just ridiculous good. It just uh, it had such a well I'll play. It. Uh, you know, think about it. Does that have a rock and roll sound to you? Okay. See, people said that he had to compete with rock and roll, which, yeah, he did. But rock and roll didn't come around until the 50s. Bill was playing, you know, he was playing a form of rockabilly music long before, 10 years before, Bill Haley and the Comets had rock around the clock. Right. Bill Monroe had the Rocky Road Blues. Well, the road is rocky, but it won't be rocky long. Lord well, the road is rocky, but it won't be rocky long. Cause another man that got my woman and gone. Okay, Bill Haley, rock around the clock. Well, da -da -da. Williams, uh -huh. moving on over. That yeah. all came out of the mind of Mr. Monroe, 10 years before all that stuff. How so, about that? <laughs> you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame honors him because, really, he was the precursor 
to uh, to rockabilly music. His music from the 40s was that that bass playing, slap bass. They was doing solos on the slap bass with bluegrass. Was that Uncle Penn's music? No. And he honored Uncle Penn and loved him, but had he stayed and wanted to just do Uncle Penn's music, he would never be in the Bill Monroe that we know today. So as much as we love tradition, if we don't get something fresh and don't get something for ourselves, something that's ours, we will be a follower and not a leader. God called us to be leaders, creators. God, God's spirit is creative all the time. So it's important, you know, you know, we live in a world of sameness. Everybody wants to be the same, you know. If snowflakes are not the same, why does why do we want to be the same? God creates every snowflake. If you took every snowflake and looked at it on a magnifying glass, everyone has a different thing to it. Everyone's thumbprint is different. So our music ought to be different as well. Yes, indeed. It's one it's great to honor the past and honor the elders. I think God really digs that. He digs it when we when we esteem others greater than ourselves. That's that's a that's something yeah, that we true. need to do. And Ricky but, uh, uh, speaking, speaking about your, your, your faith, and I know that you just did this amazing project, uh, the Mosaic Project of Gospel Tunes, and I know we don't have a whole lot of time here today. I thought maybe, what would you think about if I scooted off here a little bit and you shared some of those songs from that mosaic? Would that be all right yeah, I can everybody? do one. I sure can. Uh, I will. I want to tell you my latest acquisition <laughs> here. This really has a Bristol connection. Some of you old timers may know what this instrument is, who, whose instrument this is. Uh, this was in this town in 19, I know for sure, 1945 and 46. Uh, anybody ever hear of uh, Curly King and the Tennessee Hilltoppers? Well, there was a fella named Roy Webb that played mandolin in that band. Anybody know Roy Webb or his family? Do you? Um, well, he was playing on Farm and Fun Time. And um, Stanley Brothers was playing uh, just on Farm and Fun Time as well. And um, Pee Wee Lambert played with the Stanley Brothers. And he took an F4 mandolin and $100 and traded it to Roy Webb for this mandolin right here. So this mandolin is Pee Wee Lambert's mandolin that recorded Lonesome River, White Dove, Angels Are Singing in Heaven Tonight, a uh, Little Glass of Wine. Uh, all those Columbia, Richard Tone, and early Mercury records, about almost 40 records was recorded. White Dove. And then the second solo was... Just like it. Oh no, 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 I, I don't. I just, uh, but 
Oh, I just every time I kick off one of those songs, I just I can't hardly stand it because, uh, and you know, and the greatest thing about it is uh, th this mandolin's had more more owners than the red violin. If you've ever seen the movie Red Violin, um, it it was sent back to Gibson before Pee Wee got it in '47. Pee Wee kept it till till up in early '60s. He dropped it, broke the headstock out of it, and got mad and threw it in a trash can. And Frank Wakefield and Dorsey Harvey, Dave Harvey's dad, went and fished it out of a trash can and put a spoon handle right back here in the back and drilled some holes and fixed it up and poured some glue in it and played it for years like that. And uh, so anyway, and then it got sold and then it got sold and then it got sold and anyway. But I never, you know that scripture, more abundantly more than you could ever even ask for or believe, pray for. That's how this mandolin came. I never, this is the second most important mandolin in bluegrass music because this mandolin was the second mandolin that really played bluegrass. Bill Monroe's being first, and then this mandolin was, uh, was what Pee Wee Lambert cut all of the stuff with the Stanley Brothers. And so, but I never thought in my wildest dreams, even growing up hearing this, uh, this instrument, that I'd ever own it, you know. And uh, I got a phone call one day from David Grisman. He had bought it. Out and saw uh, out in, and so it it needed a new home. And I don't uh, think it could have found it. It was in San one, Francisco. Right? It needed to get out of there. And, I think uh, the I think the mandolin has found its home here, don't this you? This mandolin has found its home in a hard-working family. So uh, anyway, Pee Wee's home to stay. So you'll get to hear him a bunch tonight at, on, on the big stage. All right. All right, right Pee Wee. Now you straighten up here, buddy. All right, we're gonna let him play a Pee Wee's gonna be 88 years old in December. He's looking good for 88, I'll tell you. All right. Well, once again, he is a living legend, and it's such an honor. I'm like, kind of like, been like drinking lots of water and kind of knocking the things. I just, it's a really a thrill for me to just be sitting up here with him. And uh, and what can you say except uh, what a treat, Ricky Skag. Thank you, John. Well. My new album, Mosaic, I'll just, I didn't put a warning on the label or anything, but it's not a bluegrass record, and uh, I don't apologize for that, but I do want to tell you, if you're thinking it was going to be another one of my bluegrass records, uh, it's not, but I promise you, you will not want your money back when you hear it. It is, um, it's the most amazing record. Uh, a friend of mine that co-produced the record with me, Gordon Kennedy, uh, Gordon Kennedy wrote, uh, If I Could Change the World, for Eric Clapton was Song of the Year. He's a great songwriter and a great Christian. Uh, was in the group White Heart for a lot of years. You may have heard of that group many years ago. But uh, anyway, Gordon's a great, great guy. And uh, he, uh, he wrote a song on the Skaggs Hornsby, Bruce Hornsby record that Bruce and I did together a few years ago. And that's kind of how we kind of got re reunited, in, uh, Gordon and I. But anyway... Um, I don't know, I, I just, you know, I had been really feeling in my heart that, that not, not necessarily that I was wanting to expand the market for myself, because this doesn't have anything to do with marketing. This, uh, this record has all to do with the kingdom, and it has all to do with truth, and getting truth to people in a way where they'll hear it. 
our churches are um, getting, you know, seem like it's losing attendance more and more. Uh, our, our nation is losing its way more and more. And uh, it just was a time I felt like that, that I had to do some music that, that was full of truth, that had incredible melodies, really great music, but it didn't hold people over hell with a rotten stick. You know what I'm saying? You know how, you, have you ever felt that way, that someone's just trying to sell you something in church or scare you into heaven? You know, Jesus never did that. Never, never one time. He never, he never tried to scare people. But he talked about hell more than just about anybody in the Bible did. He's, I mean, he did. He said hell is real. Hell is real. And he didn't judge anyone. He said, I can't judge. My father is the judge. So he loved. That's what he did. He loved and gave his life for us so that we could have, uh, we could have a relationship with God again. Because Adam had lost that in the garden many years before that. But uh, this album... Uh, is really full of great songs and um, the reviews. The reviews have been almost like we wrote them ourselves, but we wouldn't write that about us. <laughs> I couldn't write the things about me that these people have been saying about the about the record. But uh, my daughter Molly sings a song on there that's just so wonderful. I'm so proud of her. She's 20, uh, 26, and sings like a bird. And uh, anyway, she's singing a song on there. But anyway. This song was uh, written about uh, a man and woman in a marital situation, and he had a Christian background, but he used it for his good. This true song used it for his good to put her down with, make her feel this big. If she didn't live up to something, he would just you know, slam her with the word and just beat her with, basically beat her with the Bible, you know, I mean, not physically, but, but mentally and spiritually. And uh, so anyway, long story short, they got, she got out of this relationship and, um, and she tried Hinduism and she tried Buddhism and she tried this, that, and t'other and tried to just kind of forget all of this. And, uh, but really, at the end of the day, she couldn't shake Jesus. That's what this song's called. Naked alone, cold cobblestone, they beat him until the blood ran. They brought him to die. On a cross up on high With spikes through his feet and his hands You can use him, abuse him Mock and accuse him Sell him out for 30 pieces Betray him, slay him Do the devil's mayhem But you can't shake Jesus 
crown of thorns on his brow, his eyes on the crowd, all of God's daughters and sons. They're spitting on him, cursing at him, forgive them for what they have done. You can use him, abuse him, mock and accuse him, sell him out for 30 pieces, betray him, slay him, do the devil's mayhem, but you can shake Jesus. and doubts you know there are those who deceive I've tried to resist escape and dismiss but there's one who's shadowing me I can lose my religion break with tradition say I'll hold out till hell freezes I can test him, try him, but I just can't deny him. No, I can't shake Jesus. No, I can't shake Jesus. Thank you, folks. Appreciate it. Good to be with you. We got any questions, John, from anybody that might want to ask a question or something for we? Right there. And I'll repeat the question so everybody can hear it. Yeah, I do. It's been many years since I've been over there. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I even missed that one. Yeah. How about from out in there? Anybody ever? Uh, way back, you got to shout, okay? Yeah. He asked about the USS Eisenhower. Yeah, you were on there? Oh, man, we enjoyed that. Thank you. That's great. We did. The whites were with us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, let's do it. Hang on. Shh, 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 shh. All right, Dan. What did you say? <laughs> He's All asking right. about his, his, his style there and how he uses uh, his, his some, pinky. Sometimes this pinky is a bra uh, is a is a whatever a stob or, or whatever you'd call it. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of a uh, yeah. Sometimes. Uh, sometimes I don't use it that way, but I look down and realize that I, I've, I've used, uh, I dig out the F hole a little bit, so I figure I put my finger down there every so often. So, yeah, it's, it's in there. But, yeah, I'll be glad to sign that for you. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. One more question. One more. Yes. It. Way in the back. That's the. Why are you saying now? The style of the playing you were just doing. The, the style of playing. I don't know what I'd call that. Uh, do you like it? Okay. It's just a good style then, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's just the way, way I play. But now, I learned, I mean, I learned the song from Gordon Kennedy, and that was the way he played the intro to the song. So maybe it's Gordon's uh, style. I don't know. But he's a great guitar player. All right. Why don't you all get up on your feet here for Ricky Skaggs. Thank you. What a treat. We appreciate it, man.